0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Now what we're going to do uh, this evening is, in a relatively short space of time, I've never done this in less than an hour and a half before, but I'm going to try and do it in a third of that time easily. And then we'll sing something else, and then there'll be an opportunity to ask questions. Um, We're going to look at the whole question of evil. And in years and years and years, decades of speaking with people, in my view, this is the number one question that most people have. And I think it's good for those of you who are not Christians, you have that question, it's great that you're here. And for those of us who are Christians, it's not that easy to work out. Now you may think it is. I've been looking at this for 35 years and uh, the only time I've ever felt really confident enough to speak about it was when I went to the Keswick Convention last year. And um, I, I still think about it a lot, but I believe that the question of evil and suffering is something that should drive us to Christ rather than away from him. So... Let's begin by reading from Job chapter 38, and some of the words will come <coughs> up on the screen. Well, verses 2 to 4, where Job, the Lord answers Job. Now remember, for those who don't know the Bible, the book of Job is just uh, really a long poem about suffering. It's about this question, and uh, Job is asking God why he suffered so much, and his friends try and answer, and Job, there's a back and forth And this is when God responds, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. (coughs) Now, there are other verses. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but um, uh, later on in the chapter, you get him uh, saying this Tell me if you have any understanding. Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Do you know it because you were born then, or because the number of your days is great? Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? And from a Christian point of view, it's really important for us to approach this question with a degree of humility. In other words, we're not standing and saying to God, You've got to answer us. It's not wrong to ask questions, but it's how you ask them. You can ask them wanting to know, or you can ask them making accusations. So, what I want to do is I want to bear these verses in mind, and we'll be referring to other parts of the Bible as well. And I just want to stay with this. Now, some of it is necessarily going to be quite compact and quite heavy. Um, the Best Laid Plans of Mice and Men. So I prepared this really elaborate PowerPoint with all the quotes on it and left it at home. So, <laughs> and uh, what I would suggest is, um, if you're wanting any of the quotes, don't try and take them all down. Email me and I'll, uh, I'll email you the whole PowerPoint. But I want to begin by just asking a very simple question, which s- seems kind of obvious, but it's not so easy to answer. What well, is evil? Why, why do we even use the word evil? My friend Richard Dawkins says this, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Now, when you say to people like Richard Dawkins, that's a tough world because there's no evil. So if you go as I've gone to Auschwitz and you stand at the gates, you say, this is evil. But no, there's no evil, so it can be evil. That's a tough world to live in. And Mr. Dawkins and others will say, suck it up. That's just the way it is. Well, I don't think it is the way that it is at all. I think you have to have a particular form of blindness and hard-heartedness not to see that there is evil in the world. So what do we mean by evil? There are four basic views of the nature of evil. One is what we call moral absolutism. What that means is that good and evil are fixed concepts, usually established by God or gods. Lots of different religions will accept that. Nature, morality, common sense, some other source. In other words, there's some things that are right and there's some things that are wrong. Maybe a lot of things we don't know, but there, are, there is such a thing as evil. When you look at the picture of the, the wee kid from Aleppo. You, you can't look at that and go, it's just life. It's just the way it is. There's something evil in that. A second view is what's called amoralism. They would say that good and evil are meaningless and that there's no moral ingredient in nature. That's Mr. Dawkins' thing. It, look, that's, it's just the way that things happened. There is no good and evil. A third view is that moral relativism, that holds the the standards of good and evil are only products of local culture, custom, or prejudice. So in our culture, people might say, I mean, if you you heard, for example, the first minister's speech yesterday, she was saying, our society is all about inclusion. Good. But what does that mean? What if you lived in... uh, Weimar Germany in the 1930s, and the Jews are scum, and society says the Jews are scum. Does that mean that society then has the right to get rid of the Jews? What if society decides that we don't like black people, or what if society decides we don't like white people, or we don't like people with ginger hair? Does that mean that, they, that we could just create our own standards, there's a fourth view. There's those three then moral absolutism, amoralism, moral relativism. There's a fourth view called moral universalism, and I can't be bothered wasting time explaining it to you because it's just complete rubbish. Nobody really understands it anyway. It's people trying to be clever because they recognize that the two of the others uh, just don't work. But I think, bottom line, forget all the big words, you and I have a sense of evil, a sense of right and wrong. It's why. From the very youngest age, you will get a child going, that's not fair. Now, any of you who are parents here and you've gone through the teenage stage, that's not fair. That's not right. Why is it not fair? Because I say it's not, you know. Why is it fair? Because I say it's fair, the parent might say. But the child will always going to ask, that's not fair. And often, actually, a child has an awareness of right and wrong, as we do. Why is this a problem for the Christian? It's explained in this very simple way. If God is all-powerful, if God is omnipotent, he could destroy evil because he's all-powerful. If God is good, he'd want to destroy evil. Evil exists, so therefore, the good, omnipotent God cannot exist. It's an age-old argument that's been used many, many times. What's the answer to that? Bear with me. Let me just back off a little bit and say, let's remove God from the picture. Is there still evil? Well, of course there is. So what do you do with it? If your view is what might be called evolutionary naturalism, the view that just there's no creation, there's no life after death, there's no ultimate foundation for morality, there's no ultimate meaning in life, And that's why questions of purpose, people say, forget purpose, why are we here? No, 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 it doesn't matter, just enjoy it. It also means that there's no human free will. And ultimately, if you take that view, it means that you can't really view anything as evil. Evil is a problem for the Christian. Evil is a problem for the thinking person who recognizes that the world is not just chemicals interacting with one another, that there is such a thing as morality. And actually, the problem of evil works in such a way that often it drives people towards being Christians, towards at at least looking for God. C.S. Lewis, in his journey from atheism to theism and then to Christianity, realized that the problem of evil was more of a problem for atheism than it is for Christianity. He says this, And for me, this had a big impact on me many years ago. My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But then I thought, how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but my own idea, a private idea. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too, for the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, Namely, my idea of justice was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. In other words, just put very simply if you are an atheist or a non believer, it's just too simple. It's just a a simplistic way of thinking. It's not the intelligent, rational way to think at all. Because the intelligent, rational person recognizes that evil exists and wants to ask, why? One other thing before we get to the answer. Is evil just suffering? Because what usually happens is people in our culture will say, well, evil doesn't exist, but suffering does. And so it's needless suffering that's wrong. Pointless suffering, because everyone would accept that some suffering might be necessary. And I'm sorry for the dentist here uh, for using this illustration, but I use it all the time uh, because it's true. I, I do. I love my dentist. Now, honestly, I like my dentist. Um, but even so, I still sit in that chair and I grip it really tight when that needle comes because I don't like that. And it's suffering and it's torture. And why can't you do my teeth without, and I've got to go and get a crown in a couple of weeks, and I'm I'm sorry, I need to talk to some, I need some therapy before I go, because it's suffering, but it's needful suffering. It's suffering with a purpose. So people say, mindless suffering or needless suffering, but here's the problem. How do we know what's pointless? Tim Keller, who would have to come into this at some point, says, tucked away within the assertion that the world is filled with pointless evil is a hidden premise, namely that if evil appears pointless to me, then it must be pointless. This reasoning is, of course, false. Just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God might allow something to happen doesn't mean there can't be one. And what's happening there is the, the, the atheist is saying, I have the intellectual capacity and ability to work out what's r- good suffering and what's bad suffering, The atheist is saying, if my mind can't plumb the depths of the universe for good answers to suffering, well, there can't be any. And as Keller points out, this is absolutely blind faith. When someone says, I'm not going to believe in God because I cannot see why that would happen, do you realize what you're doing? You're putting yourself in the place of God. In fact, what's happening there is that the atheist is giving to himself a, a, a blind faith. So let me return to the the Christian view. How would the Christian answer this? Because it is a difficulty. Uh, The question is put another way. If the world was created good, why is there the devil? If God created everything, did God create the devil? Did God create a perfect world and then get it wrong? Sometimes I hear people in their arrogance saying, well, if I was God, I would have created a world that was so much better. I go back to somebody who's been so helpful to me in so many ways in my life, a guy called Augustine, who understood what evil was, who experienced evil, whose Confessions is still one of the great Christian books, the great books, actually, of all time. And uh, he explains it very simply, and I, I, I just love this. He says, God created all things, right? We know that. Evil's not a created thing it's the absence of good. God did not create evil, but permits it for the good. So what he's saying is, yes, God did create the devil, but when he created him, he was an angel who was good, who had the capacity to go wrong. As to the why, we'll come to that later. But Augustine explains in this way, and in the universe, even that which is called evil, when it is regulated and put in its own place, "...only enhances our admiration of the good, for we enjoy and value the good more when we compare it with the evil. For the Almighty God, who has even the heathen acknowledge, has supreme power over all things, being Himself supremely good, would never permit the existence of anything evil among His works if He were not so omnipotent, so all-powerful and good that He can bring good even out of evil." Later on, he says this, he judged it better to bring good out of evil than not to permit any evil to exist. Now, that's a mind-blowing thing, and it's, it's the thing I want us to grasp. I would say this, I've, I've done this many times in discussions with people and debates, Said, if I could create a world in which you didn't experience any pain, any suffering, any broken relationships, anything like that, would that be the perfect world? So yes, of course. I want that. Would you want it? Yes, of course you'd want it. Good. I'll create a world in which you're a chair. Because a chair, none of these chairs that you're sitting on right now are thinking, oh my goodness, she's a bit heavy. I just wish it was someone else sitting here. Or the chair is not thinking, do you know this? I'm in love with the couch. I wish I could be a couch. I mean, you're not, they're, they're not thinking. They don't have, they don't experience any pain. They don't experience any suffering. They don't, have broken relationships, you say, well, that's ridiculous. But wait a minute. It's not ridiculous. Because if God created us as moral beings where we can love and where we can choose between right and wrong, we have to have the choice. If God created us just so that we could only ever choose good, how is that choice? And how does that show love? So, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love God, even things that are are evil. The the kind of understanding is this, that God created human beings to be immortal, free moral agents, responsible for our own actions. This is the life, this life is the one we have to determine our eternal, eternal fate. And what God did is he created this world to be what's been called a veil for soul-making. The physical and moral environment allows us to live, to be free moral agents, and to learn what we need to learn. So, God created a world in which it was possible for mankind to fall in order that mankind could be raised up to freely love and serve and worship and be with God. Do we believe that animals are evil? I've I've often been asked that one. No, I'm sorry. But um, I I don't believe in the Disney version of animals, that you've got nice animals and bad animals and all the rest of it. I've grown up with animals uh, as a, a child. I've seen animals do the most horrendous things. But the dog is not evil when it attacks someone. The dolphin or the seal is not evil when it takes a bite out of a salmon. We don't, we're not going to try animals when they kill their young. But a human being does that. We are moral, responsible creatures. Who's in the best position to know what's good and evil? There's an atheist who argues this. If there's truly an omniscient God who knows every consequence of every action that has been or ever will be taken then that being and only that being would would be in a position to speak with absolute authority about the, the amount and kind of suffering that is necessary. See, when we go to God and we say, Lord, why did this happen? Why did that happen? The Lord permits us to ask, but what he doesn't permit us to do is to tell him what should have happened because his answer is always, what you don't know is. What you don't know is. What you don't know is. So in my life, I might look and say, Lord, what... Why did you let that happen? I mean, there are people who actually believe in a God who, who makes sure that the parking space is always free at the front of the supermarket so they don't have to walk too far. Oh, Lord, thank you, you did that for me. And when they believe that, when they get a cold, they feel that God's let them down. But Lord, you're supposed to care for me. And how do you think they cope when their child dies? And how do they cope when, when they get cancer? And how do they cope when they see tremendous suffering in the world and in their own lives. They don't cope. The only thing that we have got is we, ha- we, we go to God, and this is where the, the, the real practical side of this comes. And we have to recognize that we do not know. It's strange. My experience has generally been that there are people who the first time they experience something really bad in their lives and they've been brought up in a Christian tradition... Often a quite nominal one, but even sadly sometimes an evangelical one. The first time they experience it, they say, right, I'm out of here. I don't believe in God anymore because this bad thing happened. But here's the paradox. Here's the really strange thing. I've seen far more people who've experienced really bad stuff and it's driven them to God. I'll give you one example, um, one I will never forget as a young, young minister who'd hardly ever been at any funerals, never mind conducted them. One of the first funerals I ever conducted was in Barora. And it was a couple who I liked a lot. I even regarded a bit as friends who didn't come near the church. They hated the church. They used to say things like, we hate the church, David, but you're all right. So that fed my ego, but it didn't really help too much. And um, they had an 18-month-old daughter, and she died. It was a caught death. And they came to me, and they said, look, can you do the funeral? And I'll never, ever forget it, that the wee three-foot coffin, white coffin, family only at the, at the service in, in Brora Free Church. And just the, the absolute, just horrendous heartbreak. And then on the Sunday, the mother was in church, and I was just completely shocked. And we're at the door, and I was young and not as subtle as I am nowadays, And she came out, and I said to her, what are you doing here? This is the last place I would expect you. Because, you know, she always says, God doesn't exist, and God doesn't. And she looked at me, and she said, and obviously she was very upset. And she said, David, if God doesn't exist, none of this makes any sense. See, when you go through that, I mean, sorry, I'll, I'll just, one more, a friend who had two in New Zealand, a farmer and his wife. And both their children were killed in a barn fire. And one of their friends, hardly a, f- a friend you'd think saying this, said, well, what do you think about your God now? And the mother said, if God is not there, I have nothing to live for. None of this makes any sense. Just I don't understand this, but I have to believe that he knows. Now, that's a, that's a, a, a Christian answer. And that's why, who is this who darkens counsel my words without knowledge? Please don't read this as being a heartless, uncaring God. Jesus wept at the funeral of the widow of Nan. He wept at the grave of Lazarus. It's the atheist who's saying, suck it up and see, because that's the way the world is. God weeps with those who weeps. What is God's way of dealing with evil? Because that's really the key question. And you just basically have to read the Bible. Colossians chapter 1, for example, verses 15 to 20. Christ was overcoming the elemental powers. Now, I do think that for the unbeliever, what you are left with is the atheist bus slogan, there's probably no God, so enjoy yourself. Which is not much use to the woman who's burying her child. It's not much use to... The person who's been told they've got cancer, oh, that's okay, there's no God, so I'll just enjoy myself. What difference does God make? And again, I'll explain it in this way. Again, up in Brora, I went to visit, uh, well, I didn't go to visit, I went, to, took a, a minibus, we had a kids' club, and I went and called at this door to pick up a girl who was coming, I think she was 10 years old, and I went to the door, and her dad I'll not repeat everything he said, but he told me where to go. And I said, whoa, back off. What's happened? Why are you so angry? He said, I didn't know you were one of those Christians. I said, I'm a free church minister. It's kind of a deal here. You know, we have to go along with that. And he said, no. He said, I, I don't believe in God and I hate him. And just the way my mind works, and my sometimes you have to put your mind into gear, actually, before you speak. But I just immediately said, well, that's a bit of waste of emotion believing hating a God you think doesn't exist and he says don't be a smart aleck and I said yeah you're right I was being a smart aleck what's the problem and he said God killed my wife I says whoa where'd you get that from and he said my wife died two years ago from cancer 34 years old I said where'd you get the idea that God killed her he says that's what some Christians told me now you need to be really careful here when you speak by the way because I know what happened I know that well-meaning people said to him it's God's will. He immediately and automatically and rightly in his head retranslated that to mean God killed my wife. So basically, bang, you're dead. And I said, no, that's not true. He says, what do you mean it's not true? I says, well, I'm a minister, I know. I pulled a rank on him a wee bit. and I said, that's not true. And he says, okay, what do you mean? I said, well, what killed your wife? And he said, cancer. I said, so your first question is why is there cancer in the world? And then your next question is, what's been done about it? And we started talking, and I went back every week for six weeks to his house to talk with him about it. And I I mean, I'd love this story to have a happy ending. It doesn't, because the sixth week, I went back, and he came to the door, and he says, Dave, go. I says, what do you mean? He said, you're beginning to make sense, and I don't like it, and I'd rather just be bitter. Go. So I did. I had to go. Sometimes that's the way it is. But the believer has this. We know that it's Christ who delivers us from evil. It's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. How does he do that? He delivers us from the consequences and the power of evil. And from the evil one. In this world, there will be suffering. And I cannot, and I think it is incredibly cruel for any Christian teacher to say to any person, if you become a Christian, you won't experience suffering. I know that's not true. I also think, by the way, it's incredibly unbalanced and wrong for people to say, well, because you're a Christian, you're always going to constantly see evil and you're going to constantly be morbid. And you're just saying, oh Lord, just get me out of here as soon as possible. We live in a, in a, this strange world where we can experience the depths of sorrow and the heights of joy and sometimes almost at the same time. I love uh, what Dostoevsky says in Crime and Punishment. And by the way, these guys, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and and, and Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, they really plumbed the depths of all of this. But Dostoevsky says this in the novel Crime and Punishment, "'Pain and suffering are always inevitable for a large intelligence and a deep heart.'" The really great men must, I think, have great sadness on earth. That's a incredibly profound quote. If you have a large intelligence, you think about things, and you have a deep heart, you're not cynical and caught up in yourself, you are going to feel pain and the sorrow. Not as much as Christ did, but you will. I love in... um, Lord of the Rings, when you're looking at the solution uh, and Sam at the end of that book or the end of the film if you can't be bothered with the book, um, he says to Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? I, I've, when I first heard that line and then when I read it, I, I think that is one of the most profound things. I've ever, ever heard. Because I believe, like Augustine, that our God is so powerful that all the sad stuff that happens to us and happens to his people is in effect going to come untrue. Deliver us from evil. I was in the National Portrait Gallery in London and there's Nigerian poet Ben Okri who wrote this about slavery. Freedom is a difficult lesson to learn. I have tasted the language of death till it became the water of life. I have shaped a little my canvas of time. I have crossed seas of fires and seen with these African eyes the one light which neither empires nor all the might of men obscure. Man is the sickness, God the cure. See, John Newton... I read this this week and I thought it was just so wonderful. Many, he says this in one of his letters, many have puzzled themselves about the origin of evil. I observe there is evil and that there is a way to escape it and with this I begin and end. I observe there is evil and there's a way to escape it and with this I begin and end. <coughs> Sorry. The person who says there's no God I hope you're not daft enough to say there's no evil. But you're saying there's evil. You can't define it. You can't deal with it. You really can't. Because you don't get its depths. But the Christian will come, and without knowing everything, because we don't know everything, and with lots and lots of questions and hurts and so on in our mind, I think we will end up where the position where we always come... That God has provided a means, the, the way to escape it, to be delivered from evil. And some days, not often, you're flying if you like, and you've got this clear vision, and you understand what's going on, and you grasp it. But I think some days as well, you are in the absolute darkness and all you've got is your hand in God's hand and you're saying, Lord, I don't get this. I don't get this, but I trust you. I trust you. And I pray that you would deliver us from evil. I The reason I am a Christian is I know of, apart from the being the truth, is I know of nothing in this world that deals with the problem of evil Better than the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, it's incredibly hard for a 24-year-old to sit with two parents, never having experienced death, never mind the death of a child, and seek to comfort. What do you do? You weep with those who weep. But I didn't I didn't point them to my wisdom. I had no wisdom. I couldn't point them to my experience. I had no experience. But I could point them to the one who wept at the grave of Lazarus. And I could point them to the one who died for their sin. And I could point them to the one who said, let the little children come to me. So in a strange kind of way, I have an answer. And if you're a Christian, you have an answer to the problem of evil. And the answer is Jesus. And I'm just interested if anyone else has ever come up with a better answer than that. Okay, we're going to sing Psalm 23 uh, to the tune, Shawarthi. And after we've sung this, (coughs) take a breath. If you want to ask any questions, you can. I've already got some questions, so uh, don't worry with stony silence. We will be finished uh, by half past seven, as I promised. And then next week, if there's lots of other questions that people may have, we're going to spend more time. We'll have a kind of time after the service when people can stay on and uh, discuss things with myself and Andy if you want to do that as well but let's sing psalm 23 first the lord is my shepherd no one shall i know we'll stand to sing thank you for listening to this sermon from st peter's free church in dundee if you found this sermon has been helpful to you please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of god visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically please visit the website of SOLAS the Centre for Public Christianity at solas-cpc.org Once again that website address is solas-cpc.org Thanks for listening.